Say what? We just celebrated Valentine's Day last Monday, February 14th. It's a day set aside for love. And in most cases, that love expressed on Valentine's Day is rather easy to express. We share the romantic love for our spouses. We share the storage love for our families. And we share the phyla love for our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Piece of cake, isn't it? No big deal sharing our love with others. Until we come to that verse in the Bible that we find in today's gospel lesson. Verse 27 and 28 say this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Say what? Love your enemy? Are you kidding, Lord? Now I know the Bible says one of the two greatest commandments is love thy neighbor. And I'm pretty cool with that. At least uh, my neighbors that are nice to me and, and like me and, and those that I enjoy hanging out with, yeah, I can pretty much love them with no problem at all. But wait a minute. That enemy down the street, the, the bully, the one who egged my house, who is my neighbor, yeah, he's my neighbor too, you know. But the Bible says that you are to love him as well. You are supposed to love him and pray for him. Well, I guess it would not be so hard to pray for them. I mean, there is a song that Genius brought to my attention that relates to this. It speaks to doing just that. Praying for someone who wrongs you. It's called Pray to You by Sharon and the Long Road to Love. It goes uh, like this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say the words. It says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. Okay. Okay. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. I'm really glad I found my way to church because I'm already feeling better. And I thank God for the words. Yeah, I'm going to take the high road and do what the preacher told me to do. You keep messing up and I'll keep praying for you. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind and praying for and loving your enemies at all. Now, know that Jesus is not talking about 
the three types of love we discussed earlier, the Eros, the Storge, and the Phyla types of love. The type of love he wants us to use for these people that have wronged us is, is called the uh, agape love. Now, agape love is unconcerned with the self and is concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. It is a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return at all. Agape love in the Bible is love that comes from God. God's love isn't sentimental. It's, it's part of his character. God loves from an outpouring of who he is. As 1 John 4 and 8 states, God is love, agapos, meaning he is the source of agape love. His love is undeserved, gracious, and sacrificial. It is how he loves us, even, even when we turn our backs to him in sin. We are to love God and others with agape love. Agape is a choice, a deliberate striving for another's highest good and is demonstrated through action. God set the standard for agape love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So what does this agape love really mean for us? What does it have to do for us? What does it look like in our particular situations? Well, agape love does not come naturally to us in our sinful state. However, it does come naturally to God and is an integral part of, of Him. By drawing closer to Him and experiencing His love, we are able to begin to understand what this real love means. Only through Him, only through Him, can we show and experience agape love. But even still, in referencing those who have really hurt us, we would really prefer not to love them, wouldn't we? Agape or not? How can we love the terrorists that barreled the planes into the Twin Towers, especially when we viewed weeping families at the graveside of their loved ones killed by those terrorists? Or perhaps loving those who have opened fire with gunshots in our schools, killing young students and teachers? It's hard to find anything resembling love in our hearts for such barbarians who would do such things. I suppose we can find it in our hearts to pray for those who caused all this terror and pain. I mean, from afar, we could possibly do as Jesus tells us to do. But what if one of those who perished in one of those heinous tragedies were one of your own? Would it be that easy to love those who committed those horrific acts personally against you and, and your family? It's difficult to even begin to comprehend what, what we would do. I suppose as Christians we would pick up our Bibles to be comforted by the words of Jesus in these situations. And then we come to Luke 6. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Whew. 
Man. Truth is, we would rather have permission to bomb the enemy back to the, to the Stone Age or at least some punishment that would fit the crime. Not this. Not love your enemies. I mean, don't we also find in the Bible this quote, an eye for an eye? What does Jesus mean when he tells us to love those who have devastated our lives? It should be noted that both in Jesus' time and in our own, there are some folks who seem to think that it is almost a sacred duty to hate anyone who's not one of us. Forget this love stuff. The essences of the uh, Quamron community, the people who preserve the Dead Sea Scrolls were like that. They believed that they were to love all the children of light and hate the children of darkness. Well, the bottom line is you biblical scholars know that this reference in Luke's Gospel is not the only place we find this instruction in the New Testament. It is also in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5 where Jesus is reported to have said, You have heard what it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whether Jesus was thinking of the, the senses when he brought this subject up, we have no way of knowing, but but the point is that people, religious or not, do think and act in the terms of hatred for their enemies. And Jesus says, this ought not be. All right, we can go along with that. Do not hate the Afghans, the guy down the street who kicked your dog, the teenager in the back of your house who's driving you nuts or any other enemy for that matter. That's good advice, after all, Everyone knows that hating anyone does more harm to the one doing the hating than the one who is the object of that hate. It would be fine if that is what Jesus said, but of course it is not. He did not say, do not hate your enemy. He said, love your enemy. And there, there in those words is a world of difference. What could Jesus have possibly meant? Again, he wants us to love with agape love, the kind of caring and concern we would have for someone whose welfare was really important to us. It means an unconquerable benevolence, an unfailing goodwill that will exist no matter what, even in the midst of conflict. How far should we take this unconquerable benevolence? benevolence? Does this mean that we are to condone evil? Does loving our enemies mean that we can never confront them about what made us enemies in the first place? Of course not. We are certainly not very loving when we look out for someone's highest and best good, if we let them get away with anything they please, if we do not set limits. There's a lot of road construction going on now, and if you've ever driven along a newly resurfaced road before the center lines have been painted on it, you understand. Your tendency is to drive right down the middle rather than down the right-hand side as you would normally do once the lines are drawn. You drive more comfortably once the limits are laid out. Parents who really love their kids will let them know what the limits are because the youngsters will live more comfortably once they are firmly established as well. 
In terms of our enemies or potential enemies, they too will end up in a better relationship with us once they understand just what the limits are. Love, even for enemies, will define the limits. All right. We're to love our enemies. Our love is not the kind that we just allow anything to go on, but we'll seek the highest and, and best for them. You must admit that that's a tall order. How are we going to go about that? Jesus gives a hint. Pray for them. To be sure we really dislike someone we really hate, we surely are not going to pray for them. As a matter of fact, if their name ever comes up in our prayers, it is generally in terms of some kind of violent death or at least painful injury as we saw earlier in that song. But Jesus does not say pray about them. He says pray for them. It works. You just cannot hate someone for whom you are praying. How does God treat enemies? Pretty strangely, according to the, most, the way most of us would think. We know very well that there are people in the world who scoff at God and God's commands. They have no compunction about, what the most, about the most heinous sin. They would never consider darkening the door of a church. But what happens to them? Not much that we can see. We think of some arch criminals and they seem to get along okay, more than okay in fact. They have the big cars, the fine homes, lots of money, and, and we wonder why. We think it's not fair, but apparently God does not worry about such transitory things. You see, God's blessings are available to all alike, at least in this life. To be sure, there will come a day of judgment, but that is not our worry. What Jesus is telling us is that as far as this world is concerned, our treatment of other people, even our enemies, especially our enemies, is to be based on seeking the highest and best for them. Agape love. Just exactly the way God does us. The Lord makes another point here. If we do not act that way, what makes us any different from anyone else? If you only love the people who love you back, big deal. Jesus says that even the dregs of society are willing to respond with love for love. God's people need to be ready with more than that, even to the extent of responding with love for hate. If we cannot manage more than love for love, what makes us different from the lowest of the low? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And then there's a the question of being civil. He says, if the only people to whom we are willing to say hello, if the only ones who are willing to extend the niceties of life and those in our crowd, how are we any different from even the pagans? The message is that God's people are to reach beyond just those of their own crowd and even to those who they might think as enemies and extending the common courtesy. We cannot be content to act like everyone else in the world. We just can't. Even in the matter of who gets an, a greeting from us and who does not. God's people, God's people, you and I, are to be different. Love your enemies. Say what? 
Are you kidding me, Lord? No. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good those do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Praise for those who mistreat you. We need, we must pray for our enemies. And they need our prayer. If we don't pray for our enemies, who will? If we don't pray for our enemies, how will they ever change? If we don't pray for our enemies, how will we ever be free from bitterness? Every time we are faced with people who mistreat us, we have three options. The first option is we can hate them with total hatred. That accomplishes nothing. The second choice is we can struggle to hold back our anger. And that will do nothing more than emotionally exhaust us. And thirdly, we can pray for God to bless them. You see, that opens the door for God to bless us as well. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, The only way a Christian has of getting rid of his enemies is to love them and to be his friends. There are days when that might seem preposterous, ill-timed, and unrealistic. But, you know, it just might work. It just might bring peace to this world. And on top of that, on top of that, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. And God bless.